Thank you, Gene. Morning, church. It's good to be back with you. My apologies for needing to be out last week. I can confirm that the flu is going around, and I can also confirm you don't want it. So try and dodge it if you can. Um, I also can confirm the live stream is working well. So welcome if you're joining us over the live stream. Uh, thank you to Eric for preaching faithfully last week. And um, the Lord has seen fit through a providential uh, circumstance of me being sick to shorten my three-week series to a two-week one. So uh, that's okay. I'll just talk faster. Um, but you're looking forward to us spending time uh, looking at Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want to point your attention to something coming up on Christmas Eve. Uh, that is the capstone to these couple Sundays leading up to it. Uh, we will have two services on Christmas Eve at 3.30 and 5.30. And it, we will be answering the question, why Jesus is worth the wait. Um, let me just encourage you to prayerfully consider who you might be able to pick up one of these cards and put it in their hands and personally invite them to come to church and hear about the greatest gift anyone could ever receive, the, the gift of knowing God through Jesus Christ. There should be one of those cards in the seat back in front of you. Um, if not, there's a stack of them on your way out. We'd love for you to take one of those as you go. All right, with that, let's get to it. Would you join me in a word of prayer, and we'll begin our study. Father, we ask you to now do what you have already done and promised to do, to glorify your Son. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us of the glories that Christ has revealed? Would you make him high and lifted up in our hearts, would we know for sure that he is the son that you have appointed, the final and last word, the completion of the message you intended to send. And Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive him and to respond to him by faith. Uh, this morning, might we be people that see Jesus and respond in joy. We pray in his name. Amen. Christmas is upon us, and it is undoubtedly a time of waiting. Uh, maybe you're someone that loves Christmas, and you've been waiting year-round for that season to finally come. Now that all the decorations and lights are up, maybe you find yourself waiting in line at a crowded mall, or instead waiting at home for your packages from Amazon to arrive. Uh, maybe you're waiting for family to arrive. Or after they arrive, maybe you're waiting for them to leave. Maybe you're waiting for Christmas dinner. Or kids, the most famous of all, surely you're waiting for Christmas morning, an opening of the presents. Uh, the way most of us think about Christmas, waiting is kind of baked into it. And, and that's not an unfit thing. Because if you think about the meaning of Christmas, it is the end of a long wait for someone that was worth the wait man named Jesus. We're going to be spending the next couple of Sundays thinking about an Old Testament longing and expectation. Uh, there were three things that you needed if you were a part of the Old Testament people of God. You needed a prophet to speak God's words to you. You needed a priest to mediate God to you. And you needed a king to rule over you. All three of those offices are fulfilled in the coming of the one man, Jesus Christ. And praise be to God, he was worth the wait. 
this morning we're going to zero in on how Jesus fulfills that Old Testament office of prophet, the one who speaks God's word to us. And as we do, we'll see this glorious truth that what God intended to say, he completed saying in Jesus. Uh, we'll see that in two sections as we move through these four verses. Uh, we'll be looking at them both this week and next week, so I'm not going to go over everything in them, but largely this will be the pattern we'll follow. First in verses 1 through 2, we'll see Jesus the last word, the last word. And then second in verse 3, we'll see Jesus the glorious word, the glorious word. And in all this, we will see that what God intended to say, he completed saying in the man, Jesus Christ. Let's so begin in that first section, the last word, verses one through two. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. About a month ago, Precious proved herself to be a top-notch daughter. Her parents were in town, and she knows her dad really well. She knows her dad is a Ford man. Um, he drives Ford vehicles. He even has restored an old Model T. And so she thought that his love language might include going to the Ford Model A Museum in Richmond, Indiana. Uh, so we went there, and I have to admit, even though I'm not particularly a Ford man, not much for cars, it was fascinating. Um, went, you could see the evolution and successive iterations from the early cars that were really not much to look at, very, very expensive, you didn't get much for your money, to being one day mass-produced and highly efficient and making the world literally move. Uh, watching all that, you could see a clear progression, iteration, generation after generation, the assembly line improved and a new version of the Model A would come off for new cars to be driven. Well, there's a, a similar thought going on in those fir that first couple verses of Hebrews 1, a long successive iteration of God speaking through people called prophets. Prophets are, at their core, are mouthpieces. Uh, they are people that speak God's words on his behalf. Uh, sometimes that's revealing things that are, Sometimes it's revealing things that will one day be. But prophets, no matter what they are saying, uh, don't speak on their own authority. Their authority comes from the fact that their words come from God. Now we shouldn't skip over the fact that our God is a speaking God, one who wants to communicate to us. And in fact, we have a long list of ways he did so back through the Old Testament. Think of the prophets that God rose up. Uh, he spoke through a man called Moses. He gave him the words to face down the supposed God King Pharaoh of Egypt and told him how he'd use his mighty hand and outstretched arm to deliver his people and defeat the supposed gods of Egypt, demonstrating his power for all to see. Uh, then he established a relationship with his delivered people and he did so with his very finger and tablets of stone delivered through the man, Moses. Uh, God spoke through a man named Samuel. 
Uh, he used Samuel to reveal the fact that the heart of the people really wanted a king like the nations more than it cared for Yahweh to be their king. So then God used him to reveal that they would get the king they want before finally getting the king they needed in King David. Uh, God spoke through a man named Elijah. Uh, he revealed through him the emptiness and the powerlessness of the supposed God Baal and the futility of his prophets at that bloody showdown in Mount Carmel. And then God spoke through Elijah to speak truth to power in the face of a wicked King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. Uh, God spoke through a man named Ezekiel. He had him do strange acted dramas, stripping naked and laying on his side for days and days and playing in the mud to show the pitiable state and the coming judgment to God, upon God's people. And then he gave him a, a strange vision of the very spirit of the Lord leaving the temple. God spoke through a man named Daniel. Uh, he gave him apocalyptic visions so bizarre he had to send him angels to interpret it for him. God spoke through a man named Isaiah. Uh, he spoke messages of coming doom and judgment. God's people will be taken off into exile for their sins. And then he spoke messages of salvation. Uh, there was one coming. A suffering servant who would bear their iniquities, who would be crushed for their sins, who would save God's people. Uh, each of these men that God gave his mighty words to speak through, uh, they spoke truly. And they even spoke sufficiently for the day that they lived. God used their words, his words, to accomplish his will. And he's still using those words to this very day as we are edified and instructed and we read them ourselves. And yet all of those prophets that came, that God spoke through, have one thing in common. Their message was incomplete. Uh, there was always something missing from the messages the prophets brought. Uh, They're like beautiful puzzle pieces, revealing something true. Even lined up in the right place, there's, there was never quite enough there for you to be able to understand what it was God was trying to show us. That's because there was something missing or someone missing. That's what we come to in verse two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Oftentimes when people talk about the last days, they're thinking of the last 24-hour increments until the Antichrist appears, but that's not what the author of Hebrews has in mind. The, these last days is the last era, the last chunk of redemptive history, the last time that God sends a message, the completed message that he intended to send from the very beginning. He tells us that it is sent in his son. Uh, the way that's written, author Peter O'Brien says that it's emphatic. It, it's like saying, in son, he spoke to us. Like a big exclamation point at the end of it. Like all the other messages were, were all just leading up to this one main message that fulfills and completes all the ones that came before it. Uh, to return to the puzzle analogy, Jesus isn't just a missing piece. 
Once that piece is in place, it turns out the whole thing is about Jesus in the first place. Which means that Jesus is the last word from God. What God intended to say, he completed saying in the sending of his son, the man Jesus. But what was that message he sent? And why is Jesus qualified to be the last word from God? Well, that brings us to our second section. Not just the last word, but the glorious word in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I have a friend. Uh, he was someone I knew when I was uh, first years of being a pastor. And I'm not ashamed to say he is more qualified than I am. Oh, not about being a pastor. Um, you see, I am someone that loves the country of Australia. Uh, I've had the chance to go there once uh, for a little over a week. Uh, I got to go to several major cities. I saw Sydney. Got to see Ayers Rock, biggest rock in the world. Fascinating place. Uh, got my taste of the outback. Found what has to be one of the most beautiful places in the world, Cairns, Australia. If you get a chance, go there. The new heavens and new earth is like Cairns, I assure you. Now, I might be able to tell you some facts about Australia, even be able to tell you about my trip. I might even be brave enough to put on a really bad Australian accent. But I am nowhere near as qualified to talk about Australia as my friend Jeff is. Because Jeff is Australian. Uh, he grew up on a farm in Australia. He speaks with an authentic Australian accent. When I knew him, he had a rug in his office. It was a kangaroo skin. A kangaroo that Jeff had personally killed and skinned himself. Now when Jeff speaks about Australia, he has an authority and set of qualifications that I can't hope to touch. There's a similar dynamic going on with Jesus. Of all the prophets that have come before him, speaking truly and powerfully the words of God, none of them have the qualifications that Jesus has. Why is that? Because of three reasons. First, because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. When we see God described again and again throughout the Bible, there's always this glorious light uh, that appears to mark off his presence. Uh, others for a time might reflect that light as a sort of borrowed glory, derivative in its nature. But Jesus is different. Uh, Jesus is the source of the glory of God's light. It radiates from his face. Uh, Jesus is no second-class citizen in heaven. Now, the very light of the glory of God shines from the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, who's more fitting to speak about the glories of heaven and the mysteries of God than the one who is the radiance of the glory of God in his very being, the man Jesus? Second reason. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. There used to be a time where you would call people's houses and someone would pick up the phone and sometimes you would get someone that, other than the person you were intending to call. 
Um, very often I would pick up the phone, ringing in my house. I would answer it, and the person would begin talking as if they were talking to my father, Albert. Now, why is that? Well, it's because I'm told my voice sounds a lot like my father's voice. And in fact, my brother's voice sounds a lot like my voice, and in turn, like my father's voice as well. Very often, within family, there's a sort of resemblance. We have certain characteristics, certain tendencies, certain inflections that seem like they're almost borrowed from each other. They're so similar. And yet, if you know someone well enough, and you look closely enough, you will undoubtedly find differences where none of us are exact copies of each other. Now, the prophets, they spoke truly of God. They spoke his very words, and of the narrow slice God gave them to reveal, they spoke truly. And yet, they were always imperfect representations of the God they spoke for. Again and again, they would show themselves to be fallible, sinful, weak people, just like you and I. Which means at times, even though their message might be true, they didn't represent God perfectly. Uh, Jesus is very different than that, though. Uh, Jesus is the exact representation of it, God. Uh, the Greek behind that is like a signet ring that you would use. Uh, press it into uh, hot wax. And in so doing, the shape of that ring would be embossed into the wax, being the exact representation of the real thing. Jesus perfectly represents God. Because he is eternally God the Son, the Word, the very Son from heaven, come to represent the triune God to us. Who else is fit to reveal the God of heaven except the Son from heaven itself? There's a third reason that Jesus is uniquely able to reveal God and his, be his last word. And that is because of the power of his word. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, like that old kid's song, he's got the whole world in his hands. So simple, so catchy. Uh, it's very true what it describes. The, the whole world is in God's hands. And that means you and I, Every one of your family members and your dog, all of us are being upheld and cared for by God. That's true. But what the author of Hebrews writes is something that goes a little bit further. Jesus isn't just like Atlas holding up the world. Uh, he is like someone who has picked up the world and is moving it somewhere. Uh, he not only created all that is, he is bringing everything that is to what it one day should be to an end, to the final judgment, and the, the clear revelation of God's goodness in all things, to an unending kingdom without sin or blemish. Uh, Jesus does that, not with physical hands, but we're told he does that by his word. And all those prophets spoke, and God used the words they spoke. Uh, God's word has a sort of power as it goes out to accomplish his will. And yet those words always had a limit to what they would accomplish, revealing a certain aspect of God or calling out a certain sin. But Jesus, when he speaks, things actually happen. 
everything that is, is as it is because he said it should be. And it continues being as it is because he wants it to be. That means your life, the world you live, and all of human history is all in the hands, the proverbial hands of the powerful word of God that is Jesus Christ. Think about the things you take for granted each and every day. You wake up in the morning, swing your legs off your bed and stand up. You have nerves that are firing throughout your legs and muscles, telling your body how to stay on balance. You've got a brain that's calculating all sorts of really, really difficult math problems on the fly, using your inner ear to measure where you are in space. You've got food that you're digesting that's providing oxygen and glucose to the different muscles in your body so you have the strength to be able to hold up your own weight. Why does all that keep happening? Why don't the cells in your body just say, forget it, we're on vacation? Well, it's because Jesus wants it that way. And by his word, he sustains the world, including your very life. Uh, Think of the world as it continued spinning on its axis. Why are we just close enough from the sun that we don't all freeze to death into human popsicles? And why are we just far enough away from the sun that we all aren't burnt to a crisp in a moment? Why does the sun and the earth spinning around it stay in just the right Goldilocks zone that you see the sun rise and the crops keep growing? And yes, even though we complain about winter, you stay warm enough for life to continue. Well, it's because through his word, the word Jesus has willed it to be. Or what about human history? I mean, there's a movement right now to say that history is nothing but a power play. There's no real arc to history. It's just a tool people use to change what people think about the past for their own benefit. But that's not the way the Bible thinks about history. Oh, there's a real record of things that have happened and will happen up in heaven. And there's a point to it all. It's all leading somewhere. We are going together toward a destination as we're being carried by the Son, Jesus, to the glory of God and the praise of his glorious grace. All of this is happening because Jesus is upholding the world by the word of his power. What prophet can dare to say that their words carry such authority and accomplish so much. Everything that is, is as it is because Jesus said it would be. And one day, everyone will see that everything is as it is because Jesus wanted it to be. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, maybe you've been dabbling in different forms of spirituality and religion. Maybe you feel the desire to know the God that made you, to have some sort of relationship with him. If so, that's actually a good thing. That's the way that God has made us. We we were, according to the Bible, we were made to be in a forever relationship with God. 
But unfortunately, none of the philosophies and religions you'll find in this world are, are able to give you the thing that you're craving so much. Uh, the Bible also tells us that our cravings and desires have been twisted when we have rebelled against God. Uh, the Bible calls it sin. And as a result of sin, even in our seeking after God, we turn out to be hopelessly lost, never able to find him, always frustrated no matter what new strategy or philosophy we try. But the good news is that the Bible tells us that the God who you crave and the God who made us all has, is a God who wants to be found. And in fact, he's a God who's revealed himself to us. He did that through a man named Jesus Christ. Uh, God showed us that we are a people that he made that are sinful and deserve punishment for our sins. He showed us that he is a God of holiness and that one day he will punish each and every sin that's ever been committed. But he also showed us that he is a God of love and mercy, which is why Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. Uh, he did that by living the perfect life that none of us have lived and giving up that perfect life as a substitute to be put in the place of sinners like you and I. Uh, that's what the cross of Jesus is all about. Uh, where the spotless, sinless son of God was killed in the place of deserving sinners. Uh, Jesus did that out of grace and love, not because any of us deserved it. And three days after he died, he came back to life, overcoming death itself, so that he could offer us the thing our souls have craved from the beginning. Forgiveness, right relationship with God, and a forever fellowship with him. Now, friend, I don't know how much you have understood about God up until today, but I do know this. The greatest gift that God could ever give you is a gift that you can freely receive this Christmas. You can know the God who made you. And you can know him forever in a relationship of love. But you can only do that if you come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, the only thing he asks is that you would turn from all the things that you have been trusting, from your sins and all the pleasures that you thought would bring you life. Repent of those sins and put your faith in Jesus to save you. Uh, friend, if you do that, you will find Jesus was worth the wait. Every single day you've lived on this earth was prelude to the day when your joy would be made full in knowing the man, Jesus Christ. Now, for all of us who are Christians here this morning, uh, certainly if Jesus is the last word from God, the only one fit to be the completed revelation from God, then we should have no room going off looking for other sources of supposed revelation from God. Uh, you don't need horoscopes. You certainly don't need fortune tellers. Uh, you don't need Joseph Smith and his visions, and you don't need Mohammed and his Quran. Uh, what God intended to say, he completed saying in his son, Jesus. And what he gave was all that we ever needed. As the uh, him says, what more can he say than to you he has said? You don't need to go looking anywhere else to know God truly or to know what relationship with him is like or what your eternal future with him will be like. 
all you need has been revealed in Jesus. So maybe this Christmas, uh, you let yourself feel the weight of what it is that Jesus came and fulfilled this longing to speak God's words to us, to be the true prophet that we've always needed, and to be the final word from God for all eternity. What was it that Jesus revealed to, to us exactly? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. A God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Father, glorify the Son. And when the Son is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. I go now to prepare a place for you. But I'll come back to bring you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. Truly, the Father and I are one. So brothers and sisters, as you Remember all the things that you naturally take for granted when it comes to Christmas. Uh, the baby in the manger and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels in the sky. Uh, see if this doesn't give you a, a fresh perspective on what you are remembering and even a fresh dose of joy. Uh, Jesus was worth the wait. Uh, what God intended to say, he completed saying through the Son, Jesus Christ. And that means we have every reason to be joyful this Christmas. Now, as we prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table, let's let our hearts focus in on what has been revealed about Jesus in this final word from God and what he's revealed about us in the grace that we have received. Would you pray with me as we prepare to come to the table? Jesus, we give thanks for what you have revealed. What you have revealed about your heavenly father. Steadfast in his love, full of mercy and forgiving iniquities. A God who will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus, we're thankful for the things that you have revealed about us true nature of our hearts being so shot through with sin that only your grace could ever redeem us. Uh, Jesus, we're thankful for what you have revealed by your spirit about yourself, uh, that you are the true prophet of God, that speaks the very words of God, that even heals our sin-sick souls. And Jesus, uh, we are so thankful that you revealed the way your life was the provision for us. Your body broken, your blood shed, so that our sins that were scarlet could be made white 
as snow. Jesus, uh, would you remind us now of would you remind us now of how you uh, have saved us together as your people? Uh, we pray that you would remind us of even this last week. Uh, we have fallen short of a life worthy of you, the Lord that has called us. Uh, the ways that we have left undone so many things that we should have done. Uh, we did not speak out in bold witness when you gave us opportunity. How we were not generous with our time and our treasure. How we did not serve others and consider them better than ourselves. Uh, we also remember how we have done so many things that we had no business ever doing. How we allowed ourselves to be puffed up with pride. How we allowed our tongues to speak barbed, cutting, sharp words. How we indulge the flesh instead of putting it to death. Uh, Jesus, we're thankful that you've revealed that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so now with confidence, we come to you knowing that our sins are forgiven and that you delight to restore us to a full, joyful relationship in you. Uh, Jesus, would you help us to see the way that this community of believers was lovingly and uh, intentionally saved into a body by your own blood? Uh, would you keep us from having anything between us, anything that would break the unity and the bond of peace in the spirit, anything that would give the enemy a foothold to be able to divide us and destroy us? Would you make us quick to forgive and quick to forget and those that demonstrate your love for the world to see? Uh, Jesus, as we come to the table now, we pray that you would increasingly conform us to your likeness, that perfect likeness to the Father. Even though we will never represent him perfectly as you do, we do pray that day by day, we would increasingly show the world what he is like in our love. So Jesus, now we ask you to work amongst us. We do this in remembrance of you. Amen.